This message by Mike Betts was recorded at the Relational Mission Church Planting Conference 2015 in Burkle, the Netherlands. On Sunday, I was just uh, just back at home, home church, and uh, we had uh, three baptisms from for young folk who'd come to know the Lord at, um, at New Day. And he just kind of one of the is a young lad who's 13, and uh, goodness, his testimony. I thought, man, alive! If you really keep growing in God, you're going to be dangerous. Yeah, it's just a clarity. It's a clarity of his conversion. You know, sometimes just between you and me, um, at baptisms, I'm sometimes a little disappointed sometimes with testimonies because I think, oh, come on, I, it's not that I don't think people have got it. It's just like I want to hear it. You know, I just, come on. Just, I think sometimes that's because we don't perhaps help people well with their vocabulary. But this guy's 13 and he was like, you know, I thought, Man alive, that's impressive. And then, because um, it was a baptism, I, uh, I, it was my turn to preach. So I just preached a very simple gospel thing, just about, um, you know, all we like sheep have turned astray. But there's the other verse, the Lord is my shepherd, and the Lord wants us to return to him. Just very simple, you know, just sort of gospel thing. And uh, just at the end, so does anyone want to come to know the Lord? I'd love to just put your hand up. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. And there was a lady put her hand up, and I just... You know, just was, was at that moment where I just seemed to be able to just help her into the kingdom. I mean, loads of people had put lots of effort into a, you know, it was, someone said to me, it was like you, you jumped up from the corner and nodded it into the net, you know, so it was like, it was, you know, which is, you don't often get that, do you? You're normally sort of lobbing it up from defense somewhere and never quite seeing where the ball's gone, you know, just sort of sowing seeds, aren't you? But, you know, just lovely to be there with seeing someone you know, just come to know the Lord. Then I had a conversation with a guy who was so angry with God. Well, he was angry with a God he said he didn't believe in. So I said, well, you know, yeah, it was just, but, you know, and he was an older man. And he said, well, I, I used to believe in God. Now I don't believe in God. And I said, are you happy about that? And he said, no, I'm not happy at all about that. But, I, you know, I'm just working it all through. <laughs> I don't know why I said it, but I just looked at him and he was a bit older. And I said, well, you better hurry up, wouldn't you? <laughs> I thought, where did that come from? I said, I never met him before. And he sort of, oh, I thought I was, you know, talk about a welcome corner, you know, sort of. <laughs> but I just summed him in my thoughts, just stop, look, if you're rejecting the Saviour, you're going to die soon. You're going to die soon. All right, enjoy your coffee. But I said, I said, I was listening more and more to what he was saying, and I said, your problem, my friend, if I may say, is it's not that you don't believe in God, it's you're offended with him. And he said, yes, that's exactly it. I'm really offended with him. So then we had started, I said, we started to get somewhere then, so we began to unpack it. Now, the reason I'm telling you all that is this. Just in that one morning meeting, which was, you know, it was just an ordinary Sunday morning, just, you know, with church life that we've come to know and love, you know, over years now. And I just thought, what a this is what it's all about, just seeing people come to know the Lord, getting baptized, trying to help people. Perhaps I could have done it a bit better than that. But, you know, just trying to help people. You know, and, and the reason I'm saying that is this is a church planting conference, but if we separate people coming to know Christ from church planting, we're actually missing the point. Because the whole point of planting churches is to give them families 
it's about families of people who come to know the Lord, isn't it? And, and I, and I, I just, we, the last prayer and equipping just a few weeks ago in the UK, we just did a sort of spontaneous, any stories from around the churches, and there was just loads of, well, I don't know, just one after the other. Well, yes, a few people came to know the Lord this week. We baptized some last week. But it just went on and on. And then I just put a quick thing on Facebook on Sunday, just after our meeting. And then there's more and more. Oh, we had three baptized. We had a, is it Bishop Stalford? Where isn't it? Is it 27 you've baptized? How, how long recent? In the last three months, you've baptized 27 people. I mean, yeah, that's fantastic. And, <clears throat> So I kind of thought to myself, you know, we, we hear about the great, great awakening. I think we've got the gentle happening. <laughs> but, but it's happening. You know, it's happening. And uh, regularly now, regularly in our churches, people are getting saved, baptized. But I, yeah, I mean, to me, we're just beginning to get into something now that actually makes church planting not just an exercise in reallocating Christians to something a bit better, but actually starting to penetrate the lost into a sense of bringing them into families and then obviously, you know, bringing Christians into what a, you know, a diligent attempt to have a more New Testament, you know, life, which is, I'm not dismissing that, but I just wanted to make that point that everything I say tonight and tomorrow is really with the backdrop of I just want to see thousands, see thousands of people saved. I mean, I, 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 that's, it's, I'm not really, I won't really be satisfied personally if we don't, if we look back in, I don't know, another, if the Lord gives us another 25, 30 years of really fruitful ministry, I want, I want to be able to look back at thousands of stories of people who come to know Jesus. So that, doesn't that just tick the box? I mean, I, I, you know, the, 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 how we do the other stuff is, is really the, the outworking of the, of that. Um, so I just want to try and encourage you. Let's, the DNA that we're after really is one of let's by you know words, works, wonders. Let, let's just keep giving ourselves to, to trying to reach the lost. I mean, you know, I'm the world's worst personal evangelist. I, I've got so many bad stories. Really, I mean, well, just that one from Sunday is pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's pretty bad. You know, telling someone you're going to die, so you better hurry up. And, I mean, it's not. So, you know, I'm sure you can do better than me, but I'm having a go. You know, I'm having a go with all my neighbours and friends. I'm having a go trying to sort of see how bad can I get and still God saves them. I mean, that's kind of my challenge to the Lord. See what you can, see what you can do with that, you know. So anyway, what a uh, right, quick book plug. Um, Miraculous Movements. We've got a few books that we sort of plug. I've, um, there's a lot happening in, in the Muslim world. You, you don't need me to tell you that. Not, not just in terms of people coming to Christ, but I think personally we are in the middle of a massive plate tectonics kind of movement of people that is not just about a few refugees. The cultures of the world are going to be affected by this in, in ma- massive, massive thing underway at the moment. Uh, I don't think it's kind of something that's taken the Lord by surprise. I think with the, oh, the overarching purposes of God are in all that's going on at the moment. There'll be redemptive glory. And I felt, uh, I don't know, I was just watching the news uh, when I've seen some of the, the, the terrible images of, of um, the sort of dinghies crossing the, the med and, you know, lives, just lives being lost, just awful. 
And I just felt the Lord, I was just sitting in my living room, I just felt the Lord say to me, there's future Apostle Pauls on some of those dinghies. And it just kind of caught me. I thought, man, we want the nations of Europe, particularly, I mean, it's not the only places we're working, but just, you know, as we're on the mainland here, I'd love to see church planting in every nation of Europe, wouldn't you? That we play a part. Why not? Why shouldn't we plant a church in every nation in Europe? Why not? Why not? Well, a big part of that is going to be is going to be very cross-cultural because there's going to be people who either are converted Muslims leaving persecution or people who are Muslims who are coming here are going to find Christ and then be the future church planters and leaders of some of our churches. So this book, Miraculous Movements, is just a little snippet on one way in which the Lord seems to be moving quite uh, strongly. I've come to know one of the guys involved in this reasonably well. I'm getting to know him a little bit more. I can't even tell you where he lives. Uh, or his name. I've never seen a photo of him. He can never speak at a conference. He can never have his voice recorded because he lives completely off the radar. Um, he's in his 30s. He's a young, young guy. But in the last seven or eight years, he's planted over 400 churches um, in over 91 cities in closed Muslim nations and gathered about 3,000 believers. And he's in his, th- he's in his 30s. And he said to me, we were having a Skype together, and he said, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can learn from one another. (laughs) I said, really, I don't think it'll take long from, you know, my end. But what interested me was he came back to me very strongly and said, no, actually, you guys have got something in terms of relationship, friendship, uh, a perspective on church life, a perspective on just enjoying the journey and longevity and you know some of the things that we perhaps take for granted some of the things we've been enjoying here um which he doesn't have and so we mustn't think we've got nothing to offer we actually have got some things to offer um a guy like him is living totally under great great stress and pressure to constantly be quite driven in what he's doing partly because of where he lives and partly because of the pressure that's on him then with what he's what he, you know, managing what the Lord is helping him to, to plant. So, you know, who knows where that might go? It's an interesting connection. Um, the reason I think, I, I'm not particularly recommending the strategy. I think we're more, I mean, you know, it may be useful for some, but we're particularly more interested in the values than the style, aren't we? Because, you know, there's going to be loads of styles of church planting amongst us. Some will be big, small, medium, you know, some will be multi-site, some will be many congregations, some will be big congregations. It doesn't really, as long as the values are there, really the style is, is very, very contextual. And so I think this, this, is a, this is one contextual story, which I think can help us. Um, so it may be of use to some of you, particularly working in areas where you'll have a high density of Muslim population where you are. I think it it could be quite helpful. So that's that. Anyway, in the little while I've got, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 9, I just want to have a look um, at actually the title that's supposed to be for tomorrow, which is Breaking Open New Ground. We're doing that that way around. And um, I'm firmly convinced that the more we <clears throat> keep it simple and just stick to very obvious biblical principles, then how we contextualize it in our own generation and different nations we're working in um, actually becomes much easier. But there are principles, I think, about breaking open new ground just in these, these first uh, ten verses 
when Jesus gathers the twelve and then sends them out. There's just some timeless principles. And it's, they're very familiar verses. You'll have heard it all before. But I just want to try and apply it to us now. So it's, perhaps hopefully it'll carry a little bit of perhaps prophetic weight to it, I, I trust. Um, not because we'll look at it and say, oh, I never saw that before, but more because we'll think, no, that is, that, that is, that's the way it needs to be. That's the way it needs to be. So it's sort of shoring up our foundations a little bit about breaking open <clears throat> new ground. So first ten verses of Luke chapter 9. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Father, I pray you just help me as we look at these just wonderful, timeless truths of how you, how you used uh, all that your son was doing to break open uh, new ground for the kingdom, for, for the gospel. Lord, just help us to learn in our day, Lord, we've got, we've got ground all around us that needs breaking open. Lord, do we, we just, particularly as we're standing on the mainland of Europe, Lord, it's not the only place you're going to call us to work, Lord, but we are here. And we want to pray for this, we want to pray for this mainland here and include the UK in that, Lord. We, 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 we're European, Lord. That's our, that's what we're praying. And as we put our feet on this ground, Lord, we say, would you give it to us? Would you give it to us, Lord? I pray for your glory. You said every place you put your feet, I've given to you. Well, we're putting our feet physically on mainland Europe's soil. And we pray, Lord, that over the coming years, simple principles will guide us through the power of your Spirit to see churches planted right across this vast continent. Lord, we, we want to ask you big things. Why not? Why not? Why not? The God who sustains everything by one word. Lord, it is too small a thing that we ask you for small things. So we pray, Lord, not that we're the only thing you're doing. We know we're part of a very big global family of your people. But as far as it depends on us, Lord, we want to be very fruitful and pray you'd help us to play our part well and to do it the way you want us to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few very quick things, very simple things, just to try and cheer us up. And I'll just pick them out of the verses. Number, the first thing is, in, is uh, not surprisingly, in verse 1. Uh, he says, he called the twelve together. Just simply to make the point that when Jesus did almost anything from you know, extending uh, um, the kingdom into touching new villages to collecting a donkey... He always seemed to send more than one person. Corporate dynamics seem to be Jesus' preference 
when it comes to pioneering situations. And I think there's some things we need to be learning uh, as a family. We're always going to, that's the other, one thing we ought, to, always, we ought to say as well. We're not experts, we are lifelong learners. We will always be learning new things. If you stop learning, then um, you're in trouble. So we're learning things. And one of the important things I think we're learning is that sometimes people end up moving places on their own just as a couple or one person or whatever to do with business or it's just like, you know, they just go. But I feel that it can put too much pressure on someone to then kind of label them church plant and it's just kind of them and their wife or their wife and their husband looking at each other across the lounge thinking, yeah, we are the church plant in whatever. And you kind of look at your spouse and you think, well, you don't look as keen as you did yesterday. So I think, well, this is not a very, you know. So we can kind of put a bit pressure on ourselves. And I think that the day needs to come more and more where, just like Jesus did, we, we think corporate when we plant. We, we, we think corporate. We try as best as we can to send teams or, or plurality of some kind. And before we give ourselves two big titles, um, just kind of gather and gather and gather till we're ready to go a bit more public. Just, I think it will help us just not to feel so under pressure. Now, it doesn't always work that way. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. I'm just saying, observing that when Jesus could have sent them out individually. If you've got 12 of them, he could have said, right, all of you pick somewhere, go off on your own and come. He didn't. He sent them out two by two. There's something, if he did it that way, he did it for a reason. So I think we're going to learn from that. No, when you go through the New Testament, there are times when Paul ended up somewhere on his own or he sent Timothy. But you do find that as soon as possible, corporate dynamics kick in before something is solidified. It's not just one man and his ministry. Really, that's just not... It's just not good. You know, one of the good things about team is this. Nobody knows who's caused the fruitfulness to happen, so nobody gets the glory apart from God. That's one of the good things. It's why I always say if we're praying for people, always pray in twos, because no one will know who healed the person. I mean, I'm being serious. Because we'd like to put platforms and names and big titles. Oh, look at that ministry. No, Jesus wants us. I mean, Jesus often used to slide into obscurity after he'd done his most powerful encounters. Why? Because he didn't want to be made king by force. He didn't want to, an elevation because of stuff he'd done. He was trying to remain obscure as long as possible, but let the work speak for themselves. So there's something about corporate dynamics that I think we, we need to um, yeah, just give attention to. And I'm not saying this because I think we're doing it terribly wrong. I'm just saying let's just look, get back to basics when Jesus was going to break open new ground there does seem to be um, corporate dynamics that he particularly uses. <clears throat> Second thing, uh, also in verse 1, is this. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure sicknesses. Just to make this point, we do not have any authority over people. Right? Church leaders, planters, whoever you are, whatever title or role you have no authority over people I have no authority over people the authority I have and you have is against things that come against people I have authority against demons I have authority against sickness I have authority against principalities and powers 
the, the authority we have is to serve people, not to be authoritative over them. And it's really important that, and I think, I'm not saying this because we, I think we have a problem with it, but what I want to say is as things grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, we never ever want to get into a situation where leaders abuse their people by taking authority over them. Right? We are shepherds, we are not lords. We are servants, we are not masters. Menno Simons writes some wonderful things about spiritual authority and ultimately, He put it something like this. He says, the only weapons that a godly leader has at his disposal in terms of spiritual authority are prayer, counsel from scripture, uh, and the power of a godly life lived. Now, those are the things that influence people. You can't say to people, do this because I'm the leader. That's not not where the authority, Jesus did not give authority over people to his disciples. He gave the authority over demons and, to, and sicknesses. So it's really important that we, we understand the nature of... Um, if, if, we, if God gives any one of you here in this room great fruitfulness, great numbers of church plants, large churches, thousands of people, some of you in this room may find yourself being given... given um, responsibility by the Lord for looking after thousands of people. Some of you may already do that, have influence over thousands in in whatever context. We are servant leaders, right? And the authority we have is, is over the things that come against people. It's just really important to notice that. Next thing um, is in verse 2 and in verse 6, we notice that in breaking open new ground, he said, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then in verse 6, they departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, again, it's stating the obvious, but I just want to, sometimes the obvious needs to be stated or we forget it, is that this blend or this philosophy of ministry of word and spirit is a, is a beautiful discovery. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I grew up, as probably many of you did, in, in a church that was very strong on the word but didn't really believe in the Holy Spirit. Some of you come from backgrounds where there's a lot of supernatural Holy Spirit stuff but the word was quite weak. One of the beautiful things about New Frontiers over the years and we are carrying on in the same vein as we develop as our family is we we love the word of God and our practice, our principles, our doctrine, our alignment, our truth. We search the scripture, we diligently expand the scripture we the scripture is the authority to which we build we 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 love the scriptures recognize that that they are the things that god has given for the for the for the safe leading of god's people we love that but yet we also because we love this and build so strongly on it you're able to take considerably big risks with the holy spirit so that he may do things that you've never seen before and might be might go completely crazy if you didn't have such a good word foundation because actually the stronger you are in the word, the more you can let the Holy Spirit do what he wants because it's safe. It's safe. And I think this beautiful blend of word and spirit, I, uh, we must never let the pendulum swing one way or the other. We've got, we've got to fight for that kind of beautiful blend. And I, I've just sort of gone on a journey the last number of years, really convinced that, uh, just convinced of this. 
whenever I do any kind of ministry for the Lord, whether it's standing here and preaching now, or whether it's talking to my neighbours, or whether it's anything in Jesus' name, I want to use my words uh, so that they are biblical, but I also want my words to be backed up with Holy Spirit encounter. And actually, if what I've said is true, then the Holy Spirit has said he will back up what I have said with activity. So I expect now, wherever I go, whatever I do, I expect God to do something supernatural. I may not even, I may not be the conduit for it, it may happen through other people in the meeting, but I am convinced that God will do it because I think word and spirit, God testifying to, the, to these things by signs following, I believe that is the normal way that the gospel should be uh, carried and conveyed. It's not just word, it should be with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in a Western context like we're in, most of us, we need reminding, look, when you've preached, make sure you don't forget to pray for the sick. If you come more from an Eastern uh, culture, you're more likely to have to say, look, when you've prayed for the sick, make sure you explain the gospel to them. Because the, the, the two worldviews are quite, quite different. I, I would really love us to get to the point where it's so natural for us to be supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural, whichever way you want to put it. Um, I think that's just part of, uh, our, that's part of what, breaking open new ground. We will never break open new ground just with the word or just with the spirit. Well, it won't happen. Something will go wrong somewhere. A good question to ask yourself from a Western context is this. How relaxed are you in a Holy Spirit ministry time if you're leading it? That's a good question. Because, you know, not all of us, some of us feel a little, goodness, how do I know what's going to happen next? Usually you don't. But it's learning to be relaxed when the Holy Spirit's at work and not feeling that you have to make something, you don't have to make something ordered in the same way you do when you're preparing a sermon. Do you understand what I mean by that? It is a different dynamic. I never know... I've learned enough now to know this. I never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do during a meeting, and I've given up trying to tell him what I think he should do. Because whenever I've tried to think, oh yeah, I think he's going to do this, I'm kind of, I go there, and clearly he's not gone with me. And I can miss what he is doing. Now you might have an idea. The point I'm making is, We've got to learn, and it is a learning thing. I'm, I'm on that journey. I'm learning much more uh, in recent years about how to just see what he's doing and put myself in that vulnerable position. I remember I was talking to, uh, oh, never mind who it was, but someone who's good at all these things, uh, do a name drop. Um, but he, he, gave me, he gave me this piece of advice. He said, there was once um, a farmer who went into his barn and he... Uh, his watch fell off as he was at the top of a haystack. And he, he thought, oh, no, where, where's my watch gone? Uh, you know, he's digging through all the hay, and he said, oh, I can't find it. Can't see it anywhere. And it's a precious watch. So he went back into the house, in the, into his farmhouse, and his son was at the table. And he said, I just lost my watch in the, in the barn. I have no idea where it is. So his son said, all right, I'll come and help you look for it. He said, well, it's no good. It's just like looking for a, literally a needle in a haystack. Can't find it. So they go in, the son goes up there, and they rummage around a bit, and then the son suddenly gets an idea. And he lays down, he just puts his ear to the haystack, and he goes, shh, 
and you can just hear it's over there and he just moves the hay watch now learning to listen to the Holy Spirit is just like that you have to quieten out the background noise internally not literally you don't have to go shh to people so you can, you can be in a very you can be in a very noisy room which is why I don't believe in creating an atmosphere you don't have to create an atmosphere externally you have to create an atmosphere internally so you're internally listening for the tick 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 now the disciples when Jesus sent them out they had zero confidence which is why they came back so incredibly amazed you read in other chapters even the demons listen to us even the, you know, this is amazing they, had, they were not trained they were not trained and experienced before they went and did it they just had the authority right? we have the authority we probably no more experienced than they were yeah but they still saw it happen why should not we so breaking open new ground will require us to become much much more comfortable and relaxed in Holy Spirit ministry without kind of losing our love for scripture I put it that way around for us because we're in a western context so um, okay next thing are you still with me so I know you've just eaten a great big pile of Chinese so that's, uh, which was particularly nice but, uh, right next one in breaking open new ground is this in verse 3 he said to them take nothing for your journey no staff nor bag nor bread nor money and do not have two tunics now that sounds to me like ill preparation um, doesn't it you know I mean if we were putting on this conference and we said you know what Mark and East, don't bother with any food don't bother with any chairs don't bother with any publicity don't, you know it's craggy it's a bit you know organisation light you know but what, he, what he's saying here, what he's really saying, when you dig down into it, is, is, is this. He's, he's not advocating poor preparation. He's advocating dependency. See, dependency is an ongoing requirement if you're going to partner with Jesus. I wish that... Well, can I say that? Can I say I wish that weren't the case? Can I say... Well, I've said it now, haven't I? I mean, the reason I say I wish that weren't the case is this. It's, it's a bit scary to be perfectly honest because dependency means you can't fix it yourself dependency means you haven't got an answer yourself dependency means if he doesn't turn up nothing's going to happen dependency means if he doesn't make it fruitful there's nothing on earth you can do that's, that's going to make it work that, that's, not, that's not nice place as, as independent human beings it, we have to learn I, I have to learn my whole life my whole life um, has to be consciously lived in a place of dependency. The reason I say conscience, consciously is this. Whether I like it or not, or whether I realize it or not, my life actually is already dependent on him. And Job, it says, if it were his intention and he withdrew his Holy Spirit, all mankind would perish together. Like that. So we are kept alive by the very providence of God in, in our next breath now you can't get much more dependent than that can you, so everything after this, after that, it's just like a uh, you know, it, it, it's just filling out the 
filling out the subject, isn't it? So to learn to live dependently, I think, is what Jesus is, is getting at. He's not uh, talking about being frugal. He's not saying that somehow your faith needs to be very ascetic. Uh, so, you, you know, you don't need a lot, you know, live frugally, live ascetically. You know, you don't need two tunics or, you know, don't take any money. Don't take a... He's not saying there's something meritous about being poor in possessions. He's saying don't make the things you would think you need and would therefore take with you, don't make them God. Don't make them the thing that you think is going to make it work. I mean, whether you're planting a church or leading a church or doing all the things that we do, how much does that verse need to reverberate in our heads all the time? I mean, I'm learning this a lot right now just to sort of... You know, some of you know that uh, at the moment we're, we're um, oh, glory. Some of you know that we're, you know, we're, we're, we sort of set a, a budget for relational mission this year and we've come in short of that budget. And you think, okay, I hadn't quite anticipated that. So you think, Lord, we really are up against it. You know, it's staff salaries and there's all sorts of states just just stuff now I'm telling you that because when you plant a church it's just the same isn't it you think oh goodness we need salary we need to be able to rent this we need to be able to buy this there's no if we get to the point where it's all in the bank all the time so we never feel we need God then we we will lose the ability to keep breaking open new ground so kind of somewhere in my heart I'm thankful that the Lord hasn't given us all the money that we need at the moment. Somewhere it's in there. Right? Because I'm recognizing that actually he wants us to be dependent in an ongoing way. So we don't, we don't grow and grow and grow into self-sufficiency. We constantly live on the edge where we need God. We need God. Uh, in order for things to, to keep happening. Uh, and that seems to be what he was teaching them. You know, take nothing for the journey. Just be dependent. Let me provide all that you need. A uh, few more things. Verse 4, it says, um, Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. What, does, what, what can we get from that? Well, I think simply this. Work with what you've got. Work with what you've got. How many of us, either when we planted a church the first time or when we're, you know, as it gradually, you know, developed into a church, we thought, if only this church were like that one, or if only our building were like that, if only we had what those guys have got, if only, if only, if only. But it seems to me that Jesus says, you know, whatever house you enter, you know, stay there and from there depart. Don't go into it and think, well, actually, next door looks better. Um, let's see if we can negotiate. No, he said, no, what, what I provide for you, trust me that that's what you need at the moment. It's, it's the same thing as the dependency thing. Um, because I think Jesus is just trying to say, no, I will providentially guide you uh, where I want you to be. We mustn't despise the day of small things. You know, you, you, I remember when, I, when we were involved in planting our first church, you know, 30 or 30 plus years ago now we, we didn't really know um, 
how to do it. Um, not too sure we do now, but we didn't, certainly didn't know at all then. And we didn't have much. We didn't, we didn't know, you know, you were just making it up as you went along. But some of the, some of the most precious times when you, when you knew God moving were in very, um, unsuitable uh, contexts, you know, people's houses that were too small, or uh, you know, you're trying to organise something, you didn't have the right resources, or you just didn't have everything that you wanted in order for it to really be done well. And I think we've, you know, we've obviously become very sophisticated now. We sort of plan everything, and, all, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I, I'm not advocating shoddiness, but what I am saying is that sometimes recognising the leading of God and working w- with what we've got is. is is all part of the pioneering. It's, it's, it's all part of the deal. You know, it's what God opens. Just when Paul went to Philippi, he ends up in Lydia's house. That probably wasn't, you know, it probably wasn't what he imagined. But she she says, well, if you want to use my house, you can. He jumps at the chance. Out of that, eventually comes something wonderful. So I just want to say to you, if, if you're in a situation, you think, yeah, I haven't got much resource. I don't know if this is going to work. We haven't got what uh, these guys have got. If only we had this, if only we had that. Jesus is not limited by what you, what you start with. He really isn't. He's, he's not limited by what you start with. Not even just practical and physical things, but even what you think in terms of your experience or your gifting. Jesus can work with... I mean, he worked with the disciples. Look at them. I mean, they're not... They weren't the sharpest buttons sometimes. You know, some of them really did not do well. But he used them, and he, he helped them, and he, he blessed them. And, and the other thing to say is, um, you know, some of the places they ended up, we, we don't even know the names of them. They're just uh, some villages. He went to the next village. Don't despise the day of small things. If, if, if you've got a vision for a nation and God tucks you away in a village for a while, just learning how to do the stuff, don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise where you are now, because they started in, in, in obscure villages that we don't even know the names of. That's where they were learning. They, they soon got, you know, more momentum, but they, lear- they learned in situations that they didn't necessarily uh, end up in. They're not even named places. Um, verse 5, linked with that, it says... Uh, and whoever, sorry, when, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that time, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now that's the sort of negative side of where not to waste your time. But the positive side in other chapters are talking about, it talks about looking for men and women of peace. Um, what, I, what I want to say about it is this. It struck me the other, the other day, we, we've got a, a guy in our church who his his wife has been praying for his conversion for 24 years. Right, they've been married a long while. She's been praying for her husband to come to know the Lord for 24 years. Right, about two months ago he gave his life to Christ. Right, after 24 years. Now. I talked to him a few, he was baptized, and I talked to him, you know, a few weeks after that. I tell you, that man's whole countenance has changed. He looks a different person, physically. 
I just looked at it and said, you don't even look the same person. I mean, you're recognizable, but you, know, you look at me and you think, I can see you have been born again. Now, the point I'm making is this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we, we cannot make people Christians. They get born again from above. And there are men and women of peace who God has gone ahead of us and is preparing their hearts now. And for us to find those people, when we recognize that kind of, oh, there's a receptivity here, put all your investment into those people. Because that, that's actually what Jesus told the disciples. Work with the men of peace. Work with the people who receive you. If they don't receive you, when he says shake the dust off, he doesn't mean, you know, call down fire from heaven. Because when they tried to do that before, Jesus said, no, no, really don't do that. What he's saying is that's not their time. So the guy I was chatting to on Sunday was very angry with God. Uh, I suggested some, perhaps some things for him to read and said, look, when you've read that, come and chat to me again if you'd like to. There's no point me trying to lead him to Christ that morning, right? Because it's just, it's just not a man of peace, just not at peace. He's not a man at peace. But I didn't sort of call down fire. I thought, well, I'll just leave you with this book and I'll pray for you. Um, you know, say, I'll just keep an eye next few weeks, see what's happening. It may take years. It may take years if God grants him years. It may take years for him to come back and say, do you know what? I've, I've begun to work it through. Can you tell me a bit more? What I'm trying to say is this, God is at work in people, we can't make that happen, but what we can do is observe it, recognize it, and then bless it where we see it start to work. My stepdad, when he was alive, uh, he, he was, um, when my, my mum married him, he, were, he was a, uh, a detective inspector in the flying squad. Right, he was a, dealing with murder cases. He was a hard man. Not a Christian. He was a hard man. And he, he was so anti-God. Completely. And for years that went on. And I remember one, and he started to go to church just to keep my mum happy. Uh, and I remember one Sunday he went to a special conference thing that was on. We actually had, it was visitors from Gold Hill Baptist. That's right. Jim Graham and uh, the team. Anyway. And I remember being there at that meeting. And it was the nearest I've ever felt, still is, still to this day, it's the nearest I've felt to revival in, in a meeting. It's the nearest I've felt to it. And he said to me afterwards, and he gave his life to Christ in that meeting. This is a hard man, right? He gave his life to Christ. He said, I felt and saw a beam of light come down from heaven, and I heard God say to me, I want you. And he said, I lifted up my hands and surrendered to Jesus. Now, you can't make that happen. You know, you, <laughs> even if you get some spotlights in the roof and just sort of try and create an atmosphere, you know. Anyone feeling anything? You can't make that happen. That is, in that mo- he was a man of peace in that moment. Was, somehow his heart became receptive. What we have to do to break open new ground, and all of you, some of you are, are living in situations with thousands of people all around you, and you think, where do I start? You start by praying, God, give me some men and women of peace whose hearts you have prepared right now so I can just go and pick some apples off the tree. And I think, that was easy. No, that's exactly what Jesus told them to do. And he also told them to reverse. If you find you're getting nowhere, just leave it and pray that you find 
you know, look for the, look for the, look for where I'm working. Let's put it that way, right? Look for where I'm working, and 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 take your cue from that. Okay, a couple more things, then we're finished. Um, verse six again. Some of these are so simple, and I I kind of feel almost, I feel I wish I could be cleverer than this, but they are just as they were. Verse six it says they departed and went. Now what is the what is the obvious thing to say? Obedience. They departed and went. Do you know, there are so many conferences you can go to to hear in theory about what we would do if one day someone actually went and did it. I mean, is that, is that, not, is that not the case? I mean, this is, you know, they departed and went. End of conference. You know, I mean, <laughs> they departed and went. Do you know what makes a person fruitful in the Christian life is lifelong obedience. Like Mary said to the, the people at the wedding, okay, whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. God doesn't need us to be clever. He, please hear, he does not need us to be clever. He just needs us to be obedient. Obedience trumps cleverness every time. Every time. God just uses obedience. They departed and went. They didn't say, well, now, hang on a minute. Uh, let's negotiate this a little bit more. Could we have some training? Could we, you know, could we just, you know, plan this over the next 24 months? You know, can we just get the diaries out, see when we're free? No, they departed and went. It's, it's, they did what he said. They did what he said. They did what he said. couple more things and we're done. Uh, verse 7, verse 7, I, I, do, I do like this. It says, Herod the Tetrarch, now he's a clever man, wasn't he? He was a clever man, powerful man. Heard about all that was happening. <laughs> he was perplexed. because He was perplexed for three reasons. Some people said John had raised from the dead. Some people that Elijah had appeared. And others that one of the old prophets had come back from the dead. And he said, oh, John, I beheaded. But who is this who I hear such things? And he sought to see him. The point is this. People haven't got a clue about the gospel. I mean, this is Herod who's alive at the same time as all this is going on. He's got no idea. He thinks, well, I, John, I beheaded. How did this, how, how is this? He hasn't got a clue. He's even trying to think to himself, did he come off? Did it, was it still on? Did it go? He's, he's literally trying to think for, well, John's beheaded, so, uh, it, the point is this. Sometimes we, I've sat and had conversations with people and, and, and I think, oh wow, you know, you, this is just like this. I might as well be reading you Enid Blyton. For, for you, you've got zero, or that for people who are not from England, you, a, a fiction. It's just not, you know, there's just, people are very, very spiritually aware in the, in the West now. But they have not a clue about that we have lost a whole generation of Bible, of, of Sunday school people who've then, their parents have, and their parents' parents, we, we've lost basic understanding of the Bible in, in society. People don't know anything. Herod didn't know anything. He's trying to work out whether this is Elijah, another prophet, beheaded John. He's trying, and so he went to see him. He's not got a clue. The point is this. Don't 
overestimate people's knowledge or underestimate their intelligence. People are intelligent, but they don't know anything. So, you know, we mustn't treat people as if they're stupid. They're not stupid, but they don't know very much about Jesus. So we've got to be, you know, be prepared. I mean, Herod was not in the position there to give his life to Christ, was he? He didn't even know, didn't know what's going on. So we've got to be very patient, fill in the gaps. Last thing, verse 10, it says, they told him all that they had done. Um, again, very simple principle is this, accountability. You and I will thrive if we make ourselves accountable to one another. Right? I need other people in my life to make me really fruitful. I don't, I have blind spots. I don't see my own faults. I don't see the things that I need help with. I, I need people to speak into my life. They told him all that they had done. They came back for feedback. They, they, they reported back. He was able to input them. That's how it worked. If, if we get more and more spread out and God does more and more through us, and this may not be the largest conference we do, because we do other conferences with lots more people, this could be one of the most influential we do because of the potential in this room of the people in it. But we are not going to see all that happen if we forget the fundamental thing that we need one another if we're ever going to really make this through. We need to be so tight to one another so that we, we watch over each other's lives. We're not afraid to speak into each other's lives. Uh, we don't go off and do our own thing and just kind of, you know, when we, we I believe in low control but high accountability. So no one's going to start dictating what you've got to do, but we do expect high accountability, so we're there for each other. I'm accountable to, what, to, to people. Uh, we all need to be accountable. Anyway, let's stand together. I'm just going to pray for us as time has gone a little bit, but I just that's the, the, the sort of last main point I want to make. So, Father, I do really pray that you'd just be... Uh, Resting on us now, Lord. Lord, we uh, we just want to I don't know, quiet ourselves before you, Holy Spirit, and um, yeah. I did feel actually that the Lord wanted to stick, to give some gifts of faith tonight to people. I just feel some of you are facing. Um, You've got dreams in your heart of places or you've got nations that you're just beginning to touch or you're, you know, you're just at the beginning of that breaking open ground and you think, you're kind of wrestling with, ah, oh, can this be done? Can, I, can this be done? And the thing about a gift of faith is this, it, 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 it is a gift. You know, it, it, you don't earn it, you don't sort of mentally try and get yourself into a positive way of thinking. No, it's... That, that's not, you don't need God for that. That's, that's psychology. Right? This is a gift of faith. So, Lord, I want to ask you for a gift of faith across this room right now, Holy Spirit. You are the one who gives gifts of faith right now, Holy Spirit. Give gifts of faith to, to men and women facing ground that needs breaking open. Come Holy Spirit, I don't know. Come Holy Spirit. 
if you just just lift, lift your hands if that is you, and, uh, if you particularly feel stirred about that. The rest of you, if you've not got your kind of, if you've not got your hands up, as it were, if you responded to that, just look around you. Just just go and lay hands on people around you. Just speak faith into them. Right? Just you've got authority. Remember what we say: you've got authority to bless what God is doing. Just move around. Just start to bless what God is doing. Just speak faith. And actually you'll be receiving the gift of faith by faith. You don't necessarily need to feel anything, right? You might do, but you don't need to feel something. It's taking it right now by faith. There's breakthrough coming for some of you from this moment, right now. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Breakthrough, Lord. Breakthrough, Lord. Breakthrough, Lord. Breakthrough, faith, Lord. Gift of faith. Gift of faith, Gift of faith. God's really resting on some of you right now. Right now. Holy Spirit, come right now. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just pray, Lord, for confidence to step out in supernatural things, praying for the sick. Just just take authority against things that are holding us back from that. Just pray for a wave of supernatural activity across the church plots. Thank you,
context where you've not yet seen someone saved, I just feel the Lord wants to give you faith for that. Do you want to lift your hands up if you, in a context where you've not seen someone saved, and then you sit in your nation and you've not seen anyone saved. Lord, faith now, God. Faith for breakthrough, Lord God. I pray give them uh, signs and wonders, miracles to unlock things, divine appointments to unlock things. But God, faith now for breakthrough, for Colchester. Lord, for Utrecht. For Helsinki. For Lille. Yes, Lord. For Frankfurt. God. I pray for divine appointments for Simon now. That will enable an unlocking of people to be saved, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, do that in Utrecht, Lord. Lord, let there be healings. Let there be encounters. Let there be words of knowledge that will unlock people that were closed. In Colchester, God. In Lille. 